Welcome to Covenant Church's Sermon Discussion. This conversation happens most Wednesdays on Facebook Live between me, Michelle Lichty, the Communication Director at Covenant, and the Preaching Pastor from the previous Sunday. If you haven't already, I recommend listening to the sermon before listening to our discussion. Well, good afternoon and welcome to our sermon discussion. I am Michelle Lichty and I am here today with David Henderson. Greetings to all of you. Great to be with you. Good to be with you. Um, Today, David, we are talking about your sermon from this past Sunday um, on James chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, titled Resisting Temptation. And uh, this gave me a lot to think about. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, yeah. So, you know, just thinking about trials and temptations within those trials and where is God in the midst of all of that Mm -hmm. um and so yeah so we started with verse 12 blessed is the man who perseveres under trial or the person uh because when he or she has stood the test he or she will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him um and this goes back to almost one of the first sermons in this series, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And in fact, uh, it's so clear that James is circling back to that passage because three of the words are the exact same words he uses in chapter one, verses two to four. Hmm. And and that's a place where um, you may remember he was talking about the blessings that come to us right mm-hmm. now in real time as we go through hardship of our growing in maturity and Christ-likeness. And then he kind of comes back to it and says, and, and here's another blessing that's so important. As you look down the road, you can anticipate the day when you will enter fully into the new life that you have, when you will have arrived and be sanctified and whole and complete and fully the person God means you to be. And that's mm-hmm. when you receive the crown of life. Yeah. I just was thinking about like, wait, how long have we, <laughs> we're going to be in James for a very long time. And we've covered <laughs> several different topics. So we went from yeah. trials to, um, uh, you know, to mistrusting riches, you know, I can't even name them all without having this sermons in front of me, but seeking the wisdom and will of God is another right. one. Yes, yes. You're exactly right. Yep. And so it feels like, it feels a little bit like Paul, who is known in his writings to kind of go on these tangents like oh that reminds me of this and that reminds me of this and that reminds me of this and so it feels like james is kind of the same way like okay i'm going to start here and then it's going to remind me of this it's going to remind me of this and then oh wait i want to go back to that point and make another one and yeah and michelle uh, what you're raising is i think is a really valuable thing to remind ourselves of um i mean what's yeah, James goes all over the place. And you can look back on it when you're done and go, wow, there wasn't a single thing there that wasn't connected to a thread. But there were a lot of threads in his tapestry. And I think we're going to discover that as we go along. Even Wes's sermon, we asked him to if he would preach on where a theme showed up in chapter one and where it showed up again in chapter five, I think. And yeah. and so I, I think um, uh, we had, I, I think you were there when we had the conversation around the 
table. I'm not sure if this was during the preaching discussion or the lead team discussion yesterday, but Rob was describing his experience of, wow, there's so much here. And then David, you tend to cover a lot of territory. So it just was feeling like a lot. And Brentley mm. said, it's interesting because my experience is I kind of just listened for the thing that stands out for me. And I don't feel like I have to get my arms around everything. And I don't feel like I have to come out of the sermon knowing exactly how the, all the pieces fit together and where James mm. is in his argument. And, um, and I thought that was actually really a helpful strategy uh, to, for us as we go through this, because if, if what I feel like is I've got to know and remember all of it and then how it all fits together. Yeah, that's um, overwhelming. It is overwhelming. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think we're, we're benefited from uh, having that kind of open-handedness that says, Lord, what do you have for me in this? So even in this mm. uh, passage we're looking at today, the, the beginning and the end, verses 12 and verse and 18, deal with eternal life uh, mm-hmm. and uh, that work of rescue that God does for us through Jesus. And then the in-between passages, 13 through 17, deal specifically with when I'm in a trial and I begin to feel tempted and what do I do in the midst of that? Uh, temptation. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it is very easy, speaking of trials and temptations, to be in a trial and to think, well, God, this is all your fault. <laughs> and James is clearly saying, uh, no, that's not the attitude we're supposed to have. Yeah. And um, Michelle, it's interesting because what strikes me is that that's an incredible compliment to God on one hand for us to blame him for um, our you know, well, I, I was stuck. I felt tempted. I did this because Mm -hmm. that's a way of, that is a way of holding God up as being exalted and being involved and being a shaping influence in everything that I experienced. And all of that is accurate. What James keeps bringing us to in this passage is, yeah, but there's this central issue, which is the character of God. And uh, and I think he says in a couple of different times and places, here's what we can count on as it relates to God's character. There is no part of God at all that can be appealed to through temptation. Sorry, I have a call coming in and I do not want this. So um, <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing here. Um, so there. All right. Hopefully we're back there. Yes. Sorry. Um, <laughs> not a convenient time. Uh, so uh there's, there is absolutely nothing in God that can be enticed by evil. And there is absolutely nothing in God that will motivate doing something that's evil in someone else is kind of the mm-hmm. first claim he makes about God's character. And then the, the second one, as he gets further, is he says, there's absolutely no even hint of anything other than light and goodness in God anywhere. There's no, there's not even the beginning of a shadow of not quite fully good in him. So when we, when when that is like absolutely fixed starting point, then that informs the way we compliment by God, God, by thinking you're all powerful. You can do whatever you want. You put me in this situation. And that has to be informed by the goodness of God. Even the way we think about God, letting trials happen in our lives. Mm -hmm. Yes. Trials. Yes. Evil. No, never. 
putting us in a situation where we have to sin no never mm. right yes and it's um it just reminds me of something Wes said last week i'm trying to remember exactly how he said it but he said one thing that i've learned about my heart you know because we talked about um you talked about desires, like temptation begins with our desires. And Wes said, one thing I've learned about my heart is that um, there's never, it, it never runs out of new desires. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> I was like, it's so true. Yes. It's yeah. That's so a great true. insight. Yep. yep. Yeah. And so when we are, um, it's almost like we need to be aware of our desires so that we can give them over to God and say, I have this desire. Is this from you or is this from myself? Or is this because I'm feeling pressed on all sides with this trial that I'm in? And what do you want me to do with it? Michelle, I think that is absolutely right. I, I think it's that what's the application of the sermon? That's it. Bring your desires to God. I think um, that is to a trustworthy and in every way reliable and good God. Um, you know, I, I pointed out along the way that in the NIV, it talks about our evil desires uh, get enticed, but it doesn't say the word evil in there. It just says our mm. desires get enticed. So it's our, even our great desires, our God-given desires for community and connection and finding a meaningful purpose for our lives and, and, and so on and so on and so on. Um, all of that can become the footing in which um, uh, temptation can begin to form and veer us astray. And the perfect antidote to that, you know, we want, we feel a desire and we go, oh, I feel ashamed of that. I need to run. No, <laughs> bring it to God. You, he created you. you. You are his creature. He is your creator. He already knows everything about the contours of your heart. And when we bring our desires to him, then he gets to say, uh, and see this one here. Do you realize how that's really a desire for me that's finding expression that you're thinking it's a desire for this, but it really is for me. And this desire, do you see how this is actually, this is a right desire to love and honor someone in your life, but maybe how it's disproportionate. It's not really informed by your love for me. So that is becoming disproportionately large and influential in your life. And so, yeah, yes, yes, yes. What you just said. Right. And so Right. So we just have to be, we also have to be aware of those desires. Cause I think sometimes our excuse is, well, I just didn't know. I didn't know what I was longing for. And it's like, yeah, take some time and think about it or, or live into it and figure out where you are so that you know. And, and um, again, I would say, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, I think of even my own life, and I try to be really attentive to quiet um, and to be intentional to have quiet and margin. Even in my own life day to day, there are so many times where there's some voice that I'm hearing. There's some distraction I'm seeing visually. There's something that I'm giving myself to in a moment. There's some conversation I'm having. There's something I'm thinking through or whatever and the, the actual leftover time that where I'm just quiet and reflective mm -hmm. and noticing, and then exactly what you said, bringing God into it, 
God, what mm-hmm. do you want to shed light on that's going on in my heart? Um, I think we can go a whole lot of days with a uh, very few seconds even of wakefulness that are given to just knowing our heart. I've been reading um, the dialogue by Catherine of Siena written in the 1300s. And one of the things she says is that is the combination of the knowing of ourself and the knowing of God that leads us in the way of truth, mm. and, uh, which I think is very astute. Um, yeah. And, yeah. So I, th- I think that that's exactly right, Michelle. So I just, I'm trying in my quiet time to have some time that is really just my heart quieted before God. So I'll stop and just, you know, um, let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him. Um, mm-hmm. talks about, you know, the Deuteronomy passage, and then I'll try to just be still and not yet open the Bible and not yet turn to my prayer list and not yet think about the loved ones and my church family that I want to pray for, but just be quiet. Lord, my heart, my life is open to you. Mm. Yeah, I think when we don't know our desires, boy, we are a heap of trouble on wheels, um, potentially. Right. Yes. And I think part of it is just being aware of um, w- one thing I'm learning as someone who uh, is not terrifically in touch with my emotions. Um, I am learning that if I'm angry, it's usually because uh, uh, one of my desires has been thwarted, (laughs) whether it's desire for quiet or uninterrupted time or my desire to peacefully get from point A to point B on the road and somebody's in my way, you know, (laughs) um, so that's just being aware of my emotions is helpful for me to understand my desires. And then also being aware of what I'm feeling in my body, mm. if I'm feeling tense, um, if I'm feeling, uh, you know, if my stomach hurts or if I'm getting a headache, like sometimes those are caused by, you know, something I ate or not ate or, you know, environmental factors. But sometimes it's stress that I'm holding in that I'm thinking, oh, I really want to look good in this situation and I don't know what to say. And so I'm feeling really anxious about it. And it's like, okay, but is that my desire or is that God's desire? And so, yeah, just that moment by moment makes makes me very grateful for God's grace. Yeah. And you think about it, Michelle, then, then, like just exactly what you said, that then the gracious gift of God in salvation becomes all the more um, miraculous and awesome because part of what he's given us is a gift of his Holy Spirit on the inside of us who resides there, who begins mm. to shed light on what's going on in our hearts and and all the places where the wires are crossed on the inside of us, he's rewiring to get them rightly lined up. An analogy I often think of related to desire is that we all have dashboard lights that indicate some need that's going on on the inside of us, but that the evil one came along and crossed the wires on some of those. Mm. So a person feels um, uh, sexual desire and they don't recognize that that's actually not the thing that will even begin to satisfy them in that relationship, in life, whatever. And that the, the thing I'm really longing for is intimacy with God in that moment. I mean, the classic quote, Chesterton, I think, said, the man who knocks on the door of a brothel is searching mm. for God. And mm-hmm. I think it's a, 
and you could take any desire. So uh, you take any place where we are prone to tumble into sin and find the temptation that was just before that and then find the desire that got appealed to just before that. And almost always there's a, 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 um, a way in which our, our desires misinform us of the thing that will really satisfy us. Hmm. Yeah. So for us to pause and be suspicious of our own desires is, is a crucial starting point. It is a crucial starting point because otherwise we are living that life of my desires can be trusted and God cannot. When we really want to be living that God can be trusted and my desires cannot. Yeah. 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 Learning to mistrust ourselves. I mean, we, as followers of Christ, we talk about original sin and the meaning of, uh, or uh, total depravity, I think is the, is the term I was meaning total depravity. We go, Oh, that just sounds so dark ages and all that kind of stuff. But the notion Mm. is just that there is not a single part of our interior anywhere that is untouched by sin. That's all. It's not saying there's no good that resides anywhere in us under the hood. Mm. No, that's not what it's saying. There's, there's so much beauty and goodness in, in how God created us, but there's no part of us that's untouched by sin. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's a good reminder. And if we aren't aware of that, then we don't realize we need a savior. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's important. It's important to recognize. I have a question for you that I want to kind of fast forward to the very end of this passage. Um, Verse 18, you talked about this a tiny little bit at the end of your sermon. And I thought, oh, I think there's more there. Um, verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Mm-hmm. And that first fruits, you talked yes. about it a little bit, but that is really an right. Old Testament concept that I'm not sure many of us understand. So I'm wondering if you could kind of explain that to us a little bit more. Yes, thank you. And I love that. Yeah, you're exactly right. There are like three layers beneath that idea. Um, I, I think, um, I mean, this won't surprise you. You know me well enough to know this is the way my brain works. But um, I feel like one of the best ways we can become more faithful students of Scripture is just to understand the physical and cultural context within which the words of God were first spoken and recorded. Mm -hmm. And there are so many ways in which our current cultural context and our physical world are completely unlike that world back then and vice versa. So there are so many dominant agricultural images in the New Testament and in all of scripture. And and I think we can just kind of skip right past those and not really notice how central they are. But you think about how many parables of Jesus are are related to vine and harvest and seeds and and so on. Mm, I mean, right. probably, I don't know, 80% of his parables seem like they have to do with agriculture. Um, so the, the entire realm, uh, all of biblical lands, apart from just that little bit of very um, kind of high, rocky, hilly, they call it mountainous, but it really wasn't uh, region right down the, the north, south spine of Israel, all the rest, well, and there's some desert area, but was um, growing land, crop land, and uh, and 
so that watching the the harvest cycle was so significant and so people would uh sow their seeds in the fall and uh and then they would hold out based on their leftover uh whatever grapes that were now raisins and grain that was now stale and made stale flour or whatever that kind of holding out hope in this diminished flatness of their food and all of that and and decreasing quantity in this eager hope for the arrival of the first fruits the first taste of the harvest that would come and there were three things that were true about that idea of the first harvest the um the first was that it reaffirmed all over again that a plant exists to benefit to provide nourishment and nurture for uh, the people who surround it and and it, every single person had their own vine had their own olive tree and had their own date palm and so they were the the those are the basic ingredients of their own uh, staple foods and mm. so every single person was watching this cycle anticipating the coming of the first fruits and everybody knew this is something that's um will bring life when it comes so um, a basic understanding if I'm the first fruit of God, God has given me as fruit to nurture and sustain and refresh you. I already exist for the sake of others just by virtue of being a fruit. Um, mm. And then secondly, the first fruit this is the very first part of the harvest. It was considered the best. It was often the sweetest and the, the freshest and the taste was the most prominent in it. And that first harvest belonged to God. So the, the, the first and best goes to God which is an incredible principle as you think about it, as you walk through life, am I giving mm. God my first and my best? But that whole idea that as the first fruit of God, I do not own myself. I don't direct my life. I belong to him. Um, so there's that. I, I exist for others and I exist for him. And a first fruit implies there's going to be a second fruit and a third fruit. There's going to be an ongoing unfolding of the harvest. There might be one crop of oranges that come and then another one that comes a little later in the season, mm. you know, that kind of thing, idea. Right. So that that also reinforces this idea of this cycle of love that shares life that reproduces into the life of another person so that they too can experience love and life. And then that goes into the next person's life. So there are so many, I mean, and as you know, I know you've studied first fruits and there are so many different dimensions to it, but those are the three aspects that really stand out for me. So when when God says you're the first fruit, it's so much more than just like you guys came along as Christians before those guys did. It's mm. no, that as someone whose life was bent in upon himself, herself, your life has been opened up to God and opened out towards others. It is given away to the glory of God for the sake of the, the nurture and nourishment of others with the thought that that would then bring life to them, which would then bring life to others and so on. Yes. Yeah, like, wow, what an incredible thing to be part of this wave of the goodness of God that I get to be part of. Yes. And it again brings back the idea of um, sacrificing, of the, of being a sacrifice, of that, of Paul's idea in Romans twelve of offer yourself as a living sacrifice, because yes. um, the first fruits were a sacrifice to the Lord. Yes. So. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think you know, in that is is so much of the paradox that I think r runs all through the Christian life. And I just don't know that you can ever explain it to someone who hasn't also experienced it. And when mm. they have, they just go, yes, yes, yes. And it's the, the paradox that in giving away my life, I receive life. 
that in emptying myself, I become full. In focusing on others, somehow I become more fully myself. In in giving my life back to God, he gives me my life in a way I never had experienced before. Um, and it's like, how in the world do you even explain that? I don't know. But I think this is one of those places where first fruit imagery is it's all about him and it's all about others. But somehow it's like, no, this is life. This is life for me. Um, right. Yeah. It's that upside down world that Wes yes. talked about a week and a half yes. ago that, yeah, exactly. um, you know, God, I'm, I'm constantly reminding myself, God's economy is not our economy. Right. It is not because right. where else would it make sense that giving your life away means life for you? Yes. Only, only, only with God, only with yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Any last thoughts before we close? Well, I think the one thing I would uh, just want to touch on is, um, and I, I don't, um, I don't know that I can do this without tears, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But the service ended uh, in a way that um, those who were online or those who go back to our archives won't be able to see. It ended with a baptism um, of a, a woman who um, was uh, lived elsewhere in the world, and. Uh, she asked that we not show the baptism or, or use her name because of the sensitivities. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, she's somebody who came from a country where becoming a Christian was um, would uh, expose her to the threat of losing her life and her family losing its life. So the, the courage that was shown through that was amazing. But I think, um, you know, I, uh, I, I can't describe, but I'd love to try what it was like to sit with her before the service uh, earlier in the week and to just have her walk through the story of her um, going from a place of feeling like there was nothing out there and who she was with was nothing. And then this light beginning to penetrate. And, Mm. um, and, um, and she said, and it was so beautiful. She said, it's like a reborning of my life. English is a second language for her. And, uh, and, is incredibly articulate and amazing at communicating her, her experience, but that was not language she had read in the Bible. She was mm. describing her experience of being born anew. Uh, I am my life is beginning all over again, and I think you know it's it's so easy as we go through James to feel like he's just going, you know, we got to do this, don't do this, make sure you mm. don't do this, you better not do this, or you aren't really doing this, are you? And it just feels like this list. And this is one of those places where James goes, <laughs> don't forget, let me just lift the lid. We're, we're talking about the, a, a life transformed by Jesus, him living his life in us and through us, mm-hmm. where we really become little Jesuses and his life and light penetrates our lives. And, and uh, her story was incredibly beautiful. Those who are blessed to be able to be there and hear her story and, uh, and she gave us the gift and her courage as she presented herself for baptism to publicly declare that. Um, I mean, that's a living example of what we're talking about, the, uh, mm. the transforming power of Jesus in the life of an individual. Mm. Yours, mine, mm-hmm. and hers, sometimes in less dramatic ways, just grow up in a Christian home and becomes more and more the thing that you live for, or more dramatic ways like hers, um, total change of faith, uh, total change of life orientation, and um, and a brand new start glory yeah. to god yeah glory to god indeed i know i was uh participating online this past sunday so i was very sad 
<laughs> to miss it. Yeah, the um, but yeah, it's it's super exciting. And yeah, and it's the whole um I was just thinking, you know, it's like James is describing a transformed life. He's like yes. making sure, hey, by the way, transformed life isn't just you're not just sitting around or in solitude all the time, right? A transformed life is lived. Yes, or, and um, and we I think we touched on this in some earlier conversations a few months back, but um, you know how impacted I was by Alan Kreider's book, uh, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. Mm, this mm-hmm. historian goes back the first 350 years in the life of the church, and he's just saying, so what was it about that early community about which the rest of the world was so suspicious and so guarded and just wrote them off as being a bunch of people who were strange and not worth listening to? How did that suddenly become this worldwide movement and now the primary religion in the world and and this thing um, and uh, and it is interesting how much James, having read that book now, I realize James is so much he sets the tone of the early church in what their preaching was like and what their mm. focus was. You came to Jesus, All right? Your life should look radically different from the people around you. That's going to be true in prayer. That's going to be true in temptation. That's going to be true in relationships. That's going to be true in planning. It's going to be true in conflict. It's going to be, it's, that's the early church's message. And that's James' message, which is so mm-hmm. cool. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's challenging as as can be. Uh, but you're exactly right. The, the, the thing you just put your finger on um, is he invites us to a transformed life. The light, the transformed life that Jesus is already desiring to form in us by his spirit if we belong to him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amen. Well, thank you, David, for joining thank us you, today. Yep. And always thank a you. Joy. Always a joy. And thank you to our audience for joining us, whether you've joined us live on Facebook or later on our blog or on our podcast. We are grateful for the few minutes you spent with us today. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.